Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America. And welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Now, yesterday, when we wrapped things up, I promised you we might have a big scoop. And today, we are delivering. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you this morning's scoop. And then you're going to get tonight's scoop early, just because you're a loyal listener to this great show. We're so proud of our fan base. We have such great people, smart people listening and writing us. Uh, so we're going to give you not only what's already out there, but what's about to come out. You are going to want to hear this. We're very excited about the work we've done on the election integrity front. And when we're done going over the breaking stories, we've got not one, but two great guests today. The current attorney general of Texas, Ken Paxson, is joining us. He has been a leader on issues on the border, on contesting the Biden administration's policies. Uh, He's making lots of waves. And of course, he's in a big election race next year up against George P. Bush in the Republican primary. And we're going to talk about all those things and so much more with him. Fantastic guest. He's been on the show before, does a lot of our TV shows, always on the front lines of uh, big news in Texas. And uh, we're lucky to have him on today. We're going to have the former Homeland Security Secretary of the United States, Chad Wolf, here to talk about us. We've got the border. We've got terrorism threats. We've got what just happened on the world stage with the Kamala Harris and Joe Biden foreign trips. And nobody better to break all that down and let us know what things are really like on the border, not like they're being reported sometimes in other news organizations. Then Chad Wolf, former Homeland Security Secretary for President Trump. Big show today. Uh, and we're going to start it off with big news. So uh, we have been doing the election integrity reporting day in and day out since last November when we put together our team of reporters. And one of those reporters is Daniel Payne, fantastic reporter. I've had him on the show many times. And he and I have teamed up. We obtained uh, from the Secretary of State's office in the state of Georgia the audit documents, the actual documents that Fulton County, the county that encompasses Atlanta, the biggest voting center in the state of Georgia, turned over to Secretary of State Brad Raffsenberger's team last November in what was known as the uh, uh, risk limiting audit. What does that mean? Well, they went back through and made sure that no funny business had occurred in all of the counties in Georgia, but Fulton County was a primary focus. And well, let's just say uh, they found some risk. They found some problems. 
In some cases, they may not have even recognized what was in their records until just the news brought it to their attention. But let's let's just dig in here because what we found were uh, identical votes tallied multiple times, meaning similar ballots scanned one, two, or three times. Another problem they found regularly, uh, large batches of absentee ballots that were put into piles of about 100 or so, scanned into the machine, uh, or not scanned into the machine, but they're not in the logs. So uh, where are those ballots? Did someone make a mistake? Did they miscode them? Uh, but we're talking about 150 or more batches of ballots, each or at least a hundred of ballots. Some can be more than that. And if you add that up, put it together, uh, that's about 15,000 votes. And the uh, final win for Joe Biden was less than 12,000 votes. So uh, somebody's got some explaining to do here, I think, as we look out at that. And um, there are other amazing things where really just let me give you one example that even Raffsenberger's staff and everyone else that we talked to said it could not have happened the way it is in the documents. There was a batch of consecutive documents, five consecutive batches, I believe, from machine three. So there were five counting machines for absentee ballots in Fulton County in Atlanta. Uh, and uh, machine three had a sequence of, of ballots. And there were five consecutive runs of, of ballot batches that all turned out the exact same rate. 392 votes for Biden, 96 for Donald Trump, three for the Libertarian candidate, Joe Jorgensen. That is statistically impossible. Could not have happened. And as most of our uh, state officials told us when we interviewed them, it means that there was probably an extra thousand or more votes counted because of that batch that wasn't, by the way, caught until we brought it to the attention. They're having a hard time explaining the missing 150 uh, sequences of ballots that were listed in the documents. And uh, they acknowledged there was some double counting. Uh, and that's the tip of the iceberg. That's that's this morning story. If you want to check that one out, it is uh, headlined, Georgia Audit Documents Expose Significant Election Failures in State's Largest County, Fulton County. Uh, and as we said, we have these missing, potentially missing ballots. Uh, one of the experts in this story said that what they saw when we asked them to analyze the records was election tabulation malpractice. What a term, election tabulation malpractice. That's a mouthful, and it actually has some import to you and me because we should be able to, in the great country of America, the greatest democracy, the greatest constitutional republic, be able to count votes correctly, lawful votes, accurate votes. Uh, in the case of Fulton County, there are some serious, serious questions being raised about whether that actually happened. And that's why we are doing this investigation, this journalism investigation. Now, that's not the only thing that's out there. So in the next few hours, by the time you go to bed tonight, maybe by dinner time, we're going to break another story. Watch for the news alert. It'll come out. That story is going to report that there was a memo. Uh, it reads like a diary written by a contractor uh, hired by the state, paid by Fulton County to observe uh, Fulton County. You know, Fulton County, Atlanta, has had lots of problems with election management going back years. And Secretary of State of Georgia, Brad Raffsenberger, actually planted a full-time person, eyes on the ground, to observe and report back what went on. 
And I can tell you that in this 29-page memo that he uh, wrote for the Secretary of State, there are all sorts of jaw-dropping revelations. And I'm just going to give you a couple of them to get you warmed up. And by the time the story comes out tonight, you'll have it. But you have it first because you are a listener here, and we're grateful for that. All right. The guy writes, the eve before the election. Learned that Rick reprogramming poll pads earlier was setting up a new precinct for SC-11 because someone took the wrong suitcase and only took one. Seems to be a mystery who this person was. Should have chain of custody paperwork, exclamation point, exclamation point. That means that a stranger just walked out with sensitive election materials. Somebody lifted sensitive election materials known as polling pads, the things that we use to count votes or to check people's identities so that we can say they were lawfully allowed to vote. That's documented in the uh, report. Here's another thing that's documented in the report. Several cases, these suitcases, were left out on the loading dock outside the warehouse with not anybody watching. Thankfully, the seals were intact, meaning no one broke the seals, but they were out there to be stolen or tampered with. That's just one of our many, many extraordinary revelations that are in this document. I can go on. There is another moment in the, the place where the observer says there were some of the temporary workers hired to come in and count the votes and help with the scanning and other things. And they were observed in an elevator saying they were coming to FS up. Uh, I'll let you figure out what the terrible acronyms were uh, or what the, uh, the dirty words were. But you can imagine someone was going to mess. They were there to mess up the election. They're to mess up the election. Obviously, using a little more colorful language than that. That is pretty serious. There are multiple instances in his observation document, 29 pages long, where he observes people double scanning votes, counting votes twice. Uh, there are concerns raised that there's not enough activity and equipment and documents to go out to the north part of the county. Why is that important? That's the Republican pro Trump part of the county. This document by Seven Hill Strategies, by a guy named Carter, is a remarkable document outlaying gross mismanagement, gross abuses, inappropriate conduct for election judges and, and other jurors, and it comes in the face of comments Raffsenberger himself made. Remember when the Secretary of State went on 60 Minutes and said, hey guys, I have an idea. The entire election in Georgia was the best run ever. The best run ever. That's what he was saying on 60 Minutes back in January. Well, not according to the man who is running his election or observing the election in Fulton County, Georgia, in Atlanta, the biggest vote center in the state, the largest urban area, a blue area, a Democratic area. These documents are devastating. You're going to get to hold them in your own hands and read them. They will be in the dig-in section of our story in a little bit. You do not want to miss this extraordinary documentation what we were told in Georgia and what we're now finding out are a little bit, maybe I'd say, a lot different. And you know that because we're blessed that you're a Just the News reader. We're so grateful that you're here working with us, helping us out. Uh, and we are extremely excited for the future of uh, journalism, what we're going to be able to do here. We're at the very beginning. We're winning FOIA battles. We're getting public records. 
and we're going to get beyond the rhetoric of what's been said in Georgia, and we're going to get you the facts so you can make up your own mind. That's what the Dig In Tool is about. Quite frankly, that's what Just the News is about. And of course, it's what John Solomon Reports podcast tries to be about. And speaking of facts, we've got two fact experts coming on the show back to back. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxson up next, followed by the Homeland Security Secretary for Donald Trump, Chad Wolf, two guys who know the truth of what's going on in the border and know how to tell us it in straight terms, straight talk. Get ready right after this commercial break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. He's been on this show uh, before, and we're so glad to have him back, particularly on a very big news day. Joining us right now is the one and only Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton. Attorney General, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's uh, just great to be back. It is great to have you. And this was a big day. You were part of that group of AGs that challenged Obamacare. And obviously the Supreme Court ruled that there wasn't standing by by the group that sued. What's your reaction first to the ruling and where do you go next? Because it doesn't seem like your fight with Obamacare is over. Yeah, it's it's kind of shocking to me that, that, that they ruled that we didn't have standing. We, we had, you know, the states had a case several years ago that seemed like it was going to be successful. And of course, that's when John Roberts sided with four liberals right. and said that said that the uh, that the, the tax associated that, that the uh, the penalty associated with the individual mandate made it a tax. Well, the tax was eliminated, and so we thought we had a you know basically the same lawsuit, except now we had his basis gone, and now suddenly we don't have standing. It doesn't make any sense to me, but that's what they ruled. So we'll be looking for other avenues to to deal with this because in the end. We can't have Congress telling people that they have to do any, have to buy anything, including health insurance. Yeah, no, that's that's the, really the heart of the issue, and uh, it has been since the law was passed. It's been a pretty remarkable run. Are you disappointed? Because I know Republicans, conservatives are excited by the makeup of the court, right? There's the largest number of conservative justices the court's ever had, but on Obamacare, it seems like conservatives like yourself are have been uh, frustrated by their rulings. Uh, any thought that uh, the conservatives and the court let you down, or is it just another opportunity to come back at them from a different direction? Well, we're going to come out of a different direction, I think. But yeah, I mean, I'm still disappointed that, that they found no standing when it seems like we had a very similar case, you know, years ago. And they, they got to the merits of the case on a 5-4 decision. And, and the lower courts, the federal district court and the Fifth Circuit didn't have a trouble with standing. And we've seen it seems like there's other cases right. that states have filed against Trump that had lesser connections. And yet they still found standing. Yeah, it is strange. It is. Uh, I've had a lot of legal experts since it came out this morning wondering how that standing issue suddenly came up when it didn't exist in the prior rulings. And uh, I guess we'll never know the answer because those things happen behind the closed doors of the court. But uh, that's an issue that uh, I think caught a lot of people by surprise today. Um, there's so much going on in and the world. There was a second Supreme Court ruling today where the court unanimously, everyone, liberals, conservatives alike, said, Catholic uh, charities working for uh, social welfare 
do not have to uh, uh, recognize uh, gay couples uh, and and can you know reject it on religious grounds. Do you feel good about that decision? Oh, absolutely. We were a part of that case. You well. were? We filed an amicus. Yeah, we filed an amicus right. brief uh, with uh, Nebraska and some other states, but it was, it was the two of us leading that fight. And sh- sure, it, it shouldn't be that religious organizations are excluded from being involved in adoptions, and, and their religious views shouldn't exclude them. And in this case, Philadelphia was trying to exclude Catholic charities because of their view on uh, adoption by homosexual couples. And they certainly have their right to their religious views, and they shouldn't be cut out of the process just because they don't they don't match up with the city of Philadelphia. Yeah, really historic ruling, and I think a lot of people are surprised that it was unanimous. But uh, it's definitely getting a lot of uh, attention across the uh, the globe. So it's funny; I probably could pick any ruling or any big legal issue, and there's <laughs> going to be a role in it. And I, I had this conversation not that long ago with the governor, and I said, "It looks like there's a vanguard forming in the states um, uh, uh, to you know uh, of conservative states to try to oppose the Biden administration." And the governor wrote back, "Yeah, the vanguard is Ken Paxton. Hey, that is the vanguard." Uh, you, <laughs> You really have uh, you really have uh, worked hard to use the power of your state and your office to contest things that you think in the Biden administration's policy agenda are bad for your state, bad for the country. Uh, could you walk us through just some of the things where you are? Because you have a lot of different uh, ways of contesting things from the border to healthcare. Uh, give us a, uh, just a sense of where where your finger is making a stir in the in the, in the legal uh, debates today. Yeah, so we did the same thing uh, during the uh, Obama administration that I see. I think our my office sued 27 times in 27 months. Right. We actually had a few lawsuits that were left over from uh, during the Trump administration that were related to Obama, and then we've sued uh, Joe Biden. I think now eight times, uh, and they're, they're different. And we, they're, but they all come back to the same general principle: whether it's immigration, where we're fighting uh, the federal government from letting out prisoners. When we let out prisoners, they're supposed to be deported. Uh, they're not deporting even prisoners that have committed felonies uh, to the Keystone Pipeline, where they illegally shut down the Keystone Pipeline to eat what they're doing with cruise lines. So we we are fighting things where we think that federal law is not being followed, where the president of the United States is operating outside of his constitutional authority. And there's 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 more than one reason to do it. The main reason is we don't want a president dictating to us and become an edict giver through, you know, executive orders or through agency action, we still have a constitutional form of government. So if we don't stand up, whether it's a Republican or Democrat, and say, no, you can't operate as a dictator, then we're going to find ourselves without a constitutional form of government, at least one that matters anymore. Yeah, that really is the key. Now, you won a big one last month. In fact, I think I had you on just before this ruling came down. But on the on the front of immigration, this was probably one of the most important, uh, getting a, a court to uh, enjoin the decision to put a 100-day pause on uh, the deportation of illegal immigrants. Talk about what impact that had and what message it sends uh, to other border states that are, you know, you guys are bearing all the cost of this open border. Um, what sort of message did it send to your fellow colleagues along the border? Yeah, I think it said, hey, look, if you're president of the United States, you can't just look at federal law, which requires certain actions like deporting people here that are illegally, just because on day one you say, hey, look, you can come here. We're not going to deport you. The president, even the president has to follow laws. And so that's why we asked for the injunction, because he was stopping his enforcement actions that were required by federal law. And he can't do that under federal law. He can't do that under the Constitution. So I think we sent the message that, hey, if, if you're not going to follow laws, you're going to be held accountable, too. 
Yeah, what a what a novel idea. What a good idea to have that in our country. And I think a lot a lot of Americans are glad to see you on the front lines fighting that. As as you look out now, you're going to take your licks, right? It's election season. You've got George P. Bush running against you. You've got the bar of Texas trying to take your law license away, all because you're obviously fighting an agenda that they support. Uh, what's it like to be on the firing lines? And and yeah, we had George P. Bush on the on the show because we're open all all folks. All we want everyone yeah. on. But he took his shots at you. And I'm just curious, how do you respond to the George P. Bush challenge? Look, I know what he's doing. I mean, he 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 was a land commissioner. He he did not do a good job there. The Alamo became a disaster as he tried to basically give that away. That's a state treasure. Um, he didn't do a good job with his other big issue, which was directing disaster relief funds to Harris County. He got zero dollars there over the course of the years, and so he is in a position where he kind of has to leave the land office. It's such a disaster, and he's trying to you know, move up. And the reality is operating at the attorney general's office is a much bigger endeavor and much more complicated, especially because we're managing almost 800 lawyers, um, over 4,000 people. And this is a guy that just renewed his law, just got his law license and back in October. So this isn't a place for rookies. This is a place for somebody that has some experience that knows what they're doing. And we don't necessarily want a guy that would be, have a hard time as a, you know, be kind of a beginning associate in a law firm. Uh, come manage uh, one of the most sophisticated uh, operations as it relates to law in the country. Yeah, that that it is. It absolutely is one of the most, uh, and uh, among all the AGs, it's one of the largest AGs office in the country. It's very active and and, and has a long, long reach. It's uh, a remarkable place. I've been covering it for many, many years, and uh, it's not, it's not, uh, it doesn't go very ti- long between times when you find out that a Texas AG office has done something important that affects the national dialogue. The border, uh, there are so many things going on. Obviously, the governor uh, announced an effort to fund his own wall and his own uh, infrastructure to try to protect uh, Texas, even when the federal government has opened the border. Uh, what are some of the next big legal issues you're fighting on that front? What, what are some other avenues of attack and opportunity to protect Texas and the rest of the country? So, you know, we've got we're, we're going to definitely be defending the, the state of Texas as they move forward in, in building this wall, because I'm sure that there'll be certain groups and maybe even the administration itself that tries to stop us. Um, and we're continuing to look at the border and angles and ways that we can fight back. And we're also really looking for a case that we can take back up to overturn the U.S. v. Arizona decision that was made by Justice Kennedy and, and Justice Roberts uh, many years ago, where basically Arizona tried to protect themselves by passing laws right. because the federal government wouldn't protect them. And these judges, Supreme Court, came in and said, no, you can't do that. Well, the consequences of that are devastating to border states and really devastating the country because that means that when bad things are happening, when criminal activities are happening by the cartels, the states are supposedly just supposed to take it. That cannot be right. If the federal government passes laws and then does not enforce those laws, then we ought to be able to go in and protect our citizens. It doesn't make sense. And eventually we will protect our citizens because we have to. Yeah, that's that's really at the, the heart of the issue. And uh, you see a lot of people now beginning to appreciate the the consequences of, of disarming states in this battle. And, and it seems like you're, uh, you're going to be on the front lines of that. As we look out next, the, um, the election integrity issue that uh, – 
the bar is taking issue with this. You were fighting to make sure that the votes could be certified properly before they were. Uh, now things are starting to come out. We had a big story here at Just the News today about Georgia showing that the, the audit documents that we actually obtained from the Secretary of State showed that there were real serious paperwork problems that call into question whether the vote audit was even accurate because the paperwork was so bad. It looks like a lot of states, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Arizona, obviously, Georgia, obviously now with a big audit, are beginning to look back and say, we are going to dig into 2020 and get back to it. You are on the leading edge of that. It comes with some discomfort because you get counterattacked for being on the leading edge. But are you excited? Uh, and what do you see in this movement of other states to, to begin to look into the 2020 election and learn from it? Well, you know, what's so interesting about this whole battle is that it's all about the truth. What actually happened? And for some reason, many uh, of our Democratic leaders don't want, the tr- don't want us to dig into what actually happened, which tells you, I think, everything you need to know. So I'm encouraged that these states are willing to look at the facts and go back and look at what actually happened. I think some of the evidence you'll, you'll never be able to find because if they, a lot of these ballots were yeah. tied to a signature verification. You, you know, they destroyed the evidence, basically, and, and that's unfortunate. But I am a huge fan of, of going back and, and trying to address voter fraud to make sure that in the future that we can have more confidence in our elections. Because in the end, if half the American public doesn't trust the election, we have a real problem. It, it really is. And, and uh, you know, it's actually been two consecutive elections because Democrats were upset about 2016. Republicans have said about 2020. Why not get to the bottom of it and make both sides happy? And it seems like there's just a tremendous amount of uh, resistance to looking and just learning. I mean, forget, we're not even talking about overturning the election. We're just trying to say, can we learn and find and make things better? Um, I I saw you say something recently. I think I saw it on Twitter. I think it was on one of our interviews here at Real America's Voice as well. And you said, listen, I took the action of making sure that Texas wouldn't be uh, sending out ballots to people who may not exist or didn't ask for them. And that really had an impact on the election. Is that something that uh, is one of the learned lessons of 2020, that mailing ballots everywhere, whether someone wanted them or not, is not a good thing for the integrity of elections? Yeah, I know just from my own investigations, one of the things that we do, we are able to pursue is, is voter fraud. And, and it turns out that mail-in ballots are over 60 percent of our cases because they have a higher incidence of fraud because you don't have to show a photo ID. We don't know actually who's voting, even with signature verification. It's, it's a lot better if you can show up at a poll with your photo ID and we can verify who you are. That's all we want. And when we, by the way, when we passed photo ID in Texas, they were claiming, the Democrats particularly, that we were going to su- suppress the vote. The exact opposite happened. More people voted because more people had confidence. So I am convinced that we need to address this problem. We don't need to run from it. We don't need to be hiding from it. We don't need to be afraid because we're, we're being criticized. I'm being attacked. It just tells you they don't want us to get to the bottom of this and they don't want us to fix it because they know that it will create fairer elections that are harder for people to cheat in. Yeah, and that's really, you're, you're, uh, I want to ask this question because a lot of people say, well, Republicans just want to suppress the vote, but that's not really what you want to do. You actually want to increase the vote, but you want to make it harder to cheat. Isn't that right? That's exactly right. I want everybody to vote that it has a right to vote in, in my state and in the country. I just want to make sure that we don't have people that are voting that aren't supposed to be voting. And that way we can all be more comfortable that whoever got elected, whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump, we can all be comfortable that the right person was chosen by the American people, that they won fair and square. Yeah, that's all Americans have ever wanted. And it seems like the last uh, few months, it's been very hard to get uh, clarity on that issue. But I think uh, in time, it's going to unravel. Uh, 
Uh, General Paxton, we're so grateful for your time. You, you come on the show. We're so you're gracious for your time with Just the News with Real America's Voice. And uh, we want to thank you for all that. And uh, we're going to be certain to have you back on because I know you got more news up your sleeve. Well, hey, I appreciate it. I'll be, I'd love to come on anytime. Sounds good, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Have a great day. You too. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, Chad Wolf, the Homeland Security Secretary, going to be here in just a moment. Hey folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out by not only advocating for senior issues, but also by pushing for conservative values that affect us all. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending the freedoms that made this country great and to ensure that we secure our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining, and entertainment, and of course, special insurance rates, one of the things I like. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews and extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. What a great opportunity. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, a man who was President Trump's last Homeland Security uh, Secretary, a man who, when he left office, the border was under control. It's not there anymore, I'll tell you that. It's a very far different place. Joining us right now is former Secretary Chad Wolf. Mr. Secretary, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on. Before we get started, because I know there's a lot to talk about, particularly on the immigration front, um, your predecessor, the man who blazed the path of Homeland Security uh, Secretaries, uh, Governor Tom Ridge, obviously had a, a terrible stroke last night. He's recovering, and I just wonder, I'm wishing him well and a fast, speedy recovery, but I wanted to, if you could just talk a little bit about the legacy he left at that department, uh, the one that you inherited and ran so well. Well, sure, absolutely. Obviously, my prayers and, and thoughts are with Secretary Ridge and his family. Uh, I served under under the secretary back in uh, 2003. He was the first Homeland Security Secretary and was really, as you indicated, sort of blazing the path. Um, stood the department up from ground zero, uh, really from scratch um, in those early days after 9-11 and helped pull together a lot of the structure that we see today. So he deserves a lot of credit. Uh, for the work that he did in, in getting that department up and running. And I know uh, there's many of us that are, are thinking about him today. Yeah, I think the nation's prayers and hearts are, heartfelt thoughts are with him today for sure. The um, It's an amazing time. I was looking back this morning and you have former President Donald Trump visiting the border, but Vice President Kamala Harris, who's in charge of it, not. And you've got Joe Biden dismantling or stopping the building of the wall. And then you've got the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, starting to build a wall. And I wonder if you could just help make sense of how did that happen? How did we flip-flop from a secure, safe, low illegal immigration border to the crisis that we have now? Well, it's such a good question. I think there's there's not a lot of issues when we talk about public policy and the role of government that show two different, con that shows you a contrast to two different positions in such a short yeah. period of time as we are seeing today with, with border security and immigration. And I think under the Trump administration, you know, our approach is relatively simple, which is it was about rule of law. It was about enforcing all the rule, all the laws that Congress had passed regarding border security and immigration. 
in trying to bring some sense uh, back to that to that immigration system that most people think has failed them over time. And so we got rid of a number of things that we saw were abuses, uh, such as catch and release, this notion that the Border Patrol is going to catch someone illegally trying to come into the country and then simply release them to stay here into the interior uh, of the United States while they wait for their immigration proceedings, knowing that they never, almost never show up for those proceedings. And so we got rid of that. Uh, right. What we see, what we see from this administration is basically undoing everything the Trump administration did over a four-year period to bring border secure, to bring some security back to that border, and it's almost as if, again, they've got that Trump derangement syndrome. Anything that was done under Trump, they have to do away with it, whether it makes sense or not, whether it provides security or not. They simply are going the opposite direction, and it's what we saw under the Obama administration, and we're seeing it again. We know it's a failed policy failed under Obama and is failing again uh, right now. And the fact that neither the president or the vice president will go down to the border just shows you the lack of leadership, shows you the lack of importance that they are putting on this issue. You know, the vice president can go there as a senator, which she did. Uh, she even went as a candidate for president. That's right. Uh, but, when she, but when she has a position such as vice president that she can actually utilize um, and make change, she won't go and visit the border. Uh, and it's very, very disheartening. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. And it sends a message to the men and women on the front line. That's the thing I've heard. I've been talking to the Border Patrol Union and, and uh, you know, yeah. we've had a couple of their leaders on and oh, Mark Morgan, former leader who worked great with you. And um, they're like, you know, this sends a bigger message than the, hey, just they don't care about it. They don't care about the people that are going through this crisis. Now, you got a 180% growth in illegal immigration crossings uh, just since Joe Biden set foot in the office. And uh, I just wonder, you, you called out uh, the current CPB le leadership, I thought, in a very insightful tweet. I, I didn't notice this game of semantics they were playing, but they put out their latest statistic and said, hey, it only went up 1% from uh, April to May, but it's gone up 180% since January. What do you think is going on? I mean, do you think that, you know, the guys in the CPB and the gals are great, yeah. amazing women. Is someone sitting on them to come up with silly press releases like that? Oh, absolutely. The the press release that you're talking about is obviously being pushed out by political uh, Biden politicals at CBP, which yeah. run the Office of Public Affairs, where that came from. Right. And they, their their tweet was so disingenuous that it was almost comical. I mean, they basically said uh, they were trying to they were patting themselves on the back, saying that you know the illegal apprehension number only went up one percent from April to May, but what they failed to mission, you know, mention is it's up like 700% if you look at May of last year. Right. Last year in the month of May, 23,000 illegal apprehensions. This month, over 183,000. <laughs> and amazing. so the, the number is so astronomically large that they're having to come up with new ways to justify it. And uh, I think it's important to, to call them out on it. Yeah, I know your tweet did just that. And I, it's, a, it's a, sometimes people in the, uh, well, they don't have time to discern all this. And says, so, oh, 1% is not too bad. Well, it's yeah, it's a lot worse than that. I forgot the, the main number was that low. It was below 30,000. That's right. Uh, real real credit to the to the program that you and President Trump and others uh, put into place. I want to switch to another topic because you've been talking about it a lot and have for a long time. When you were in the job, you were warning this era was coming. And um, the era of cyber warfare, cyber criminal uh, attacks are just, uh, we, we have reached our Pearl Harbor moment and people are waking up and realizing anything could potentially be shut down and held hostage and ransomware. 
And uh, Joe Biden had that moment yesterday. He's sitting from uh, across from Vladimir Putin, and he gives them this list of 16 places in the country that should be off limits for his hacking or his uh, thugs hacking. And I was thinking, uh, should it be that all parts of America are off, uh, are off limits, <laughs> not just 16? Did you have any opinion that, uh, just on what message yeah. that might have sent Putin? Well, sure. And I think you're exactly right. Cyber attacks, uh, we've seen increase pretty regularly over the last several years. And yeah. It's really the next battlefield uh, that we see out there where countries can't compete with the United States, you know, military to military. But what they can do is is go after, uh, from a cyber perspective, go after some of our critical infrastructure. So I heard the president talk about this. What I assume he's talking about, but he's not articulate, is there are 16 critical infrastructure sectors that we identified that the department identifies. I assume that's the number 16 that he's talking about. Of course, that he is. clarify that. Right. Um, but instead of saying 16, no one really knows what that is outside of a few, you know, people that really follow this stuff. He should have just said all critical infrastructure. In fact, everything, uh, you know, all networks within the United States, are, you know, should be immune to this um, right. and should not be targeted and attacked. For him to somehow uh, parse this out, I think, uh, sends the exact wrong message. My guess is he was trying to be articulate, was trying to show people that he knew what he was talking about. But I, again, it came off uh, in a way that uh, actually had the opposite effect. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. And a lot of people were talking about that overnight as a missed opportunity. You know, the message I think a lot of people want to send to Russia is don't touch anything of ours eh? or you're going to pay a dare right. price and stop it. And uh, but you're right. I think that's exactly what he did. He took those 16 and uh, but it, it's felt limiting as opposed to the broader message that we want. As you look at where we are now, uh, obviously, when you left office, there was a concern about domestic extremism, has been for a long time, quite frankly. Uh, but there has been a, almost an inordinate and nonstop focus on it since January 6th, and the Biden administration has a lot of rhetoric, a lot of focus on it. Help people understand, you know, some concerns say, oh, it's not a threat at all, and that's not true. There is a threat. Uh, but are, are we, have we overpainted the picture now, or is the picture pretty accurate? Uh, where does this debate over uh, domestic extremism and terrorism uh, go? Well, sure. This is an issue that, you know, we as a country have dealt with for years and years and years. I That's think right. what's troubling right now is that we see it being politicized in a way that we have never seen politicized before. And just to give you a couple of examples, I mean, President Biden, during his joint session of Congress back in April, I'm not sure if a lot of people caught it. I did. He, he essentially said the most lethal terrorist threat to the United States is white supremacy, white supremacy which is factually not accurate. Um, he has twisted not only a Department of Homeland Security threat assessment, but also an intelligence community assessment to make it, to make it true. Uh, what we've said is within the domestic violent extremist category, which includes militias, includes anarchists, includes environmental groups, within this small category, if you look at the numbers, then white supremacists are the most lethal. But that's a very small category. He tried to say that that's actually more, you know, important and more of a threat than foreign-based terrorist organizations or other threats, cybersecurity, which we just talked about, more of a threat um, than those others. And it's simply not true. But I think he's doing this uh, as a way to, again, identify his political opponents and try to paint them in a in a certain negative light. And we've never seen that really with domestic extremism before. 
uh, and it's it's troubling what we see here now. Yeah, it it does seem like the rhetoric has really been flipped on its head a little bit. And again, it's a serious issue. No one, I I, I was early in my career, I covered the Oklahoma City bombing, and you see what what an extremist uh, domestic terrorist looks like, and the death and the havoc that it wreaked. But you also have got Al Qaeda and and um, ISIS and and all of these other other groups. And um, it, it just now become uh, almost laughable how they're trying to pretend those aren't as a big a threat. And of course, that's not what the pros say. And I think that's important. There was. And it's, it's, well, go ahead, sir. Yeah. yeah and just one other thing. He, uh, you know, the Biden administration released a, a new strategy for uh, domestic extremism this week. And in there, they talk a lot about obviously white supremacy and they talk about uh, anti militia or militia groups, I should say, anti government groups. Uh, but what they don't talk about are the events of Portland, Seattle, right. and, and other incidents that we saw during the summer of 2020, and what that and the threat that poses to American businesses and the economy. They're they're completely silent on that, uh, which again just points out the political nature of of what they're trying to do at the end of the day. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it, and uh, it's important for the American public to get the truth and not get. Uh thrown off guard by all this spin and subterfuge that, that, that comes out on a daily basis. Um, not too long ago, uh, the president, uh, President Biden announced uh, that he's going to make the Pulse nightclub scene a national monument, which is certainly a good thing for recognizing the horrific uh, uh, loss of life there and, and, and the victims there. A lot of people, in, when I talk to intelligence and law enforcement professionals, tell us we don't really know the whole story there, that there's a much bigger story that we need to dig in and talk about. Now, I know you can't talk about any classified information, but do you think the American people would benefit from seeing some declassification or some uh, understanding of what really went on there and what forces were at work, much like uh, we've got the attack down in Florida at the, at, the floor, at the base, the Fort Hood attack? Has there been some restraining of the full pictures of how these terrible attacks have been uh, carried out? Well, look, what I can tell you just generally, I, w- I certainly support, you know, the declassification of, of important information. I think the American people deserve the truth. They deserve to know what was behind many of these attacks, how much the government knew, how much it didn't knew, and, and all the events that went on there. So absolutely, the more that we can share with the American public um, while still keeping certain information sensitive sure. um, that we need to, I think it's important. I think, uh, you know, the government only hurts itself uh, when you try to keep information away from the public that that serves no purpose at the end of the day. Um, And so the more information we're able to share, the better. Yeah, I think a lot of Americans agree. And we saw the benefit of that in the Russia collusion case and other places because we really learned something different. It was a different story when we could get our hands on the truth. And I think that's something that benefits us all. One of the dynamics that I have been really impressed with, and, and I know you do a lot of work at the America First um, Policy Institute, and uh, in particularly in the homeland security and immigration space, but a lot of the policies that the, you and the Trump administration uh, uh, imposed, and then people sued, right? They sued, and they said, "Oh, big bad Trump! They got the law wrong. Uh, Secretary Wolf's wrong on this." But you keep winning, even after you're out of office. You keep winning these cases time and again. And I think the most recent one from the Supreme Court last week, which I believe was unanimous, was that illegal immigrants who come in here, even if they get a temporary humanitarian status, they're not entitled to get green cards. How important a message it is to win those cases, even now you're after you're out of office? Well, it's critically important because what it says is, uh, you know, the fact that we follow the law for four years and shutting down programs that the Obama administration have kept you know, fostering for eight years that were not legal, were not the right the way to do it. 
President Trump made the hard decision and, and made decisions and we, we took action based on the rule of law. And what these court cases show in many cases is that we were correct, that um, folks that are on temporary protective status, TPS, um, have limited options. And that's the way it should be because it's temporary nature. They have protections temporarily for a limited amount of time um, and they shouldn't be allowed to stay here indefinitely and, and receive green cards and et cetera, et cetera. So, I think it's important that we continue to work through a lot of these court cases. I know some of them are still ongoing, um, but at, at the end of the day, as, as these fall in our favor, I think they re-emphasize and they point out not only to the American people, but to the you know the mainstream media, which was very much against us from day one. Oh yes, that the the actions we took were justified, they were noble, and they were correct at the end of the day. Yeah, very important to see the the level of demagoguery that went on early on in the immigration changes that you and the administration brought forth uh, now are being unraveled. Uh, let's hope the American people appreciate it and get the word of it because um, it, there was an awful lot of demagoguery going on that didn't have any factual or legal basis for it. And um, it is, it's clearly now uh, a matter of record as you see the courts rule. I want to I finish this interview where we started because you talked about the extraordinary sea change that has happened in such a short period of time. Joe Biden unraveling a lot of the Trump's successful policies and you know charting his own course. He's actually going exactly where he said he was going in fairness to him. He said he was going to do it and he's done it. But as someone who's been a lifelong professional in the Homeland Security space, what is the with with the changes that have been made? What's the biggest vulnerability that Americans might not know that we have as a result of these policy changes? What would keep you up late at night now uh, as you look at at the posture that America's taken under a Biden administration? Sure, I think you know the first thing that I think about. Obviously, it deals with the border, and when you see such astronomically high numbers—one hundred and eighty-three thousand illegal apprehensions in one month alone—and those are just the folks that we apprehend. Right. Probably in the month of, of May, you probably saw another twenty-five to thirty-five thousand folks who we never apprehended who got into the country as well. And so this presents opportunities for really bad organizations, whether it's foreign terrorist organizations or just other criminal organizations to try to take advantage of that, whether that's sneaking individuals into the country, smuggling individuals, drugs, and other contraband. My concern here is that they're gonna take advantage of what I would consider an open borders policy that the Biden administration has um, you know, instituted. And, um, and that's really what you know, keeps me up at night. There's, there's a variety of other things that we talked about like cybersecurity, but you know, when the law enforcement of professionals are overwhelmed along the border, uh, things get missed. Uh, national security mission gets compromised uh, because you have to take care of these thousands and hundreds of thousands of folks that come into into your custody. So that's the really concerning thing. This is a crisis that didn't need to happen. Um, yeah, great point. A lot of crisis that get that gets served upon us, whether it's COVID or economic crisis from time to time. This was this was something that didn't need to happen. The border was under control. There was a, a strategy in place. And they simply tore it down without putting anything in its place. And the result is historic numbers in a historic crisis that we see today. Yeah, there, there's no doubt that this is going to be a, a debate that we're going to be having for a long time. These numbers aren't going down anytime soon from uh, from the trend lines we're seeing. Um Secretary Wolf, I can't thank you enough. I, I could talk to you for hours. I love Homeland Security. Yeah. <laughs> I love the immigration debate. It's such an important one. And I want to get you back on the show uh, uh, quickly whenever we can. Uh, how can people follow you, what you're doing now? 
Well, you can certainly go to the America First Policy Institute. Uh, you can also go to Twitter. Uh, and so there's a variety of different ways. I'm fairly active on that. And then uh, I'm on uh, Fox News uh, commenting and right. a couple other outlets uh, talking about this uh, pretty regularly. Oh, that's great. Well, your wisdom and your input is really greatly appreciated. These are really important issues. And I know our listeners really benefit from having your expertise. So thank you for the time today. And let's get you back on soon. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, time to wrap things up for the day. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it, with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. Ow, my head is aching. What an amazing amount of information we got from the Attorney General, from the former Homeland Security Secretary. Many thanks to Ken Paxson and to uh, Chad Wolf for joining us today and giving us the real scoop, what's really going on, the facts at the border and our nation's security in the effort by conservatives to contest the Biden administration's policies. You do not get that much opportunity, I certainly don't, to have two incredible bests back-to-back giving us the skinny on the ground. Very important stuff. Hope you enjoyed it. I sure did. And remember, go to Just the News tonight, sometime after dinner, maybe before you go to bed, before you watch the TV, and check out the new breaking news story we will have online at justthenews.com on that incredible document uh, that has been obtained by Just the News. It is the roadmap to all things that went wrong, the mismanagement, the misconduct, the bad behavior, the threats. There's a moment where the, the observer concerns that some of the people counting votes are unmasking the names and could then use them to extort or bother voters that they don't like voted for Trump. What a report. Uh, you're going to get to see that tonight. You can see our story, our take on it, our facts. But go to the Dig In tool. You can actually download the document and read it. What better way to get the truth and to have it in your own hands? That'll be coming out tonight. Until then, we ask that God bless you and God bless this incredible nation, the United States of America, as he always has. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So 
you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. 